Welcome to the Samson Strength Coach Collective Podcast. We've created this collective in order to grow a network of strength coaches who are consistently raising the standard within our industry and as an educational resource for coaches of all levels. Make sure to follow us on Twitter and Instagram at Samson underscore EQ. This episode features Justin Twin, Tactical Strength and Conditioning Coach, hosted by Tom Palumbo. The views and opinions expressed in this interview are not that of the United States government, the DOD, or KBR Contracting. So good afternoon, good evening, good morning, depending on when you're listening. Uh, this is Tom Palumbo for the Samson Strength Coach Collective. Uh, I'm here with uh, Justin Schwind, Coach Schwind, uh, turning the tables on you this time. Normally, you're the guy that is doing the interviews and putting people in the hot seat. You're in the hot seat today. So it's good to hear. Good to see you. Uh, how's things going at your end right now? Good. Thanks. Uh, good. Good morning. Good. Uh, good day at work. Working with uh, the airmen, and uh, truly blessed to be here and uh, to have where I'm at as far as working, and truly blessed to be on today. And I guess to wrap a little bit about myself. Uh, uh, yeah. Yeah. Then that's where we'll start. Hey, tell us about yourself. Uh, we've I think we picked up uh, with some of your other interviews a, a little bit pieces here and there. But let's put it all together. Uh, who is Coach Swin? How did you get to where you are? Yeah, sure. Um, you know, uh, played college football as a walk-on. Wasn't any good, but but attempted to play college football at Stephen F. Austin State University. And uh, when that didn't work out, I finished up my studies for undergrad at Texas State University. And um, after that that stint, I, I started volunteering as an intern, really liked it, and uh, graduated. And then I had to figure out what was next. I had a couple of graduate assistant opportunities, but also had an opportunity to do an internship at uh, Baylor College of Medicine in a neuroimaging lab. Uh, really was out of my realm, but uh, had the opportunity to uh, make some cash to be able to save for grad school uh, and then to experience something a little bit different. So I did that for a year and also volunteered as an intern at Rice University. Uh, during that same process, and uh, it was great. Got to meet more coaches. Uh, also, was able to recruit athletes from Rice over to the study that I was doing at Baylor. Uh, from there, when I was a graduate assistant at Mississippi State University, I got to work at the SEC. It was pretty freaking cool. I uh, got to work with a variety of sports. Uh, the main one was football, and um, it was it's still early on strength and conditioning, as you remember back in the days when you started. And uh, so everybody kind of did everything, and, and it was – there was not an Olympic sports side and a football strength side. It was everybody kind of integrated and worked together. So I really loved that opportunity. Um, got my master's degree from Mississippi State. And then from there, I uh, went on to Birmingham Southern College, Division Three school. Uh, they just started the strength and conditioning program, got to be a part of it. Uh, it was great. It was just me with a whole lot of athletes, 550 to be exact and uh, ish. And uh, it was a variety of sports from – uh, rivalry to uh, your traditional football. And uh, so uh, really was challenged with myself as far as my boundaries and how to do it and how to really work a very hard academia schedule. Uh, and uh, being Division three, it was not required year round. It was a little bit different than a Division one school. So it's very similar to where I'm at now. And uh, so it was about creating a good culture, um, really reaching out to the coaches, really reaching out to the athletes and and, and really selling them on, on a vision. Uh, from there, I uh, got to follow the football coach down to University of South Alabama and start up the program. Um, got to hire staff and uh, was there for 
right shy under 10 years. Uh, for first nine years, I was the head strength coach. Um, and then my last year, I, I moved over to administration for a year as uh, the uh, director of football operations and got to run the program from the business side of things, which, again, was a great opportunity for me to get some real good admin work, to screw up, to fall on my face and, um, and, and learn how to manage bigger than just a straight staff, but as a whole, the entire football staff uh, to plan on on uh, uh, all the travel, the camps. I mean, all of it. It, it was a lot, but it, it was a great opportunity. Uh, we didn't have a good season, so like any any uh, staff in, in in college athletics, we got fired. So I had to figure out what was next. And my wife was pregnant at the time, and decided that uh, I wanted to go a different route. Uh, I'd always had heard uh, about the tactical side of things and actually interviewed a job at uh, uh, down in Biloxi and uh, decided not to take it at the time. It wasn't a good fit, but I, it was in the back of my mind. So when it came open, I kind of felt like God had really been put on my heart to, to go a different route, to have more time for a family, one, but two, uh, to work with a, uh, a type of athlete that, that didn't require – uh, you to serve them. Um, so I wanted to give a shot and there's three jobs that are open at the time. Uh, one at, uh, at Columbus, Fort Benning, one up at uh, Fort Bragg. And then uh, there was one over in California uh, in Monterey. And, and I interviewed all three. Um, and realistically, I talked to my wife and she said, I want to go the farthest one north, the least tropical. I said, okay, well, I guess we're going to Bragg. Uh, and had the opportunity to go up there and work for the 528 Sustainment Brigade, uh, which was a uh, basically a support unit for all of the uh, USASOC or Army Special Forces units. Uh, so it was a little bit different. You had some uh, what we call baby operators. Uh, we had the medics, uh, the SOMED medics, but you had a lot of calm guys and gals. And, and, it, and it was it was good baptism in. Um, from that opportunity, got to go over to SWIC and uh, work in the Q course. All the uh, operators that uh, or pre-operators that that prepped and got to go through selection, and then went through the the language process. And it was a big, huge conglomerate machine, and it was essential for me to really see things on on a, on a big scale and, and really see things in a fast pace uh, in the uh, special forces or the special operations command community. Um, and then from there, uh, got to jump over to. Uh, the 58 South as a human performance advisor. And um, that's where I'm at now um, and, and get to work with uh, airmen every day. And it's, it's a great resource. Uh, the POTIF program to them because uh, they have a job where they can maintain a lot of stress, uh, uh, a lot of fast decision-making and uh, a lot of physical and mental stress. So uh, get to play that role. Um, fortunately enough, I'm a KBR uh, employee as a contractor and um it's uh it's good it's i can't complain i will work uh definitely significantly less hours in the collegiate level um i get to be a father i got my second just i just had my daughter and uh, you sent me a card and i appreciate that um but uh, i had number two hopefully number number two is the last one but i get to be present um and i get to work really hard at work and try to do the best job i can do at work but when i come home i get to be at home and I think that's important to me uh, to be a better person, um, to be be a better man, be a better husband, and a better father. So that's me in a nutshell. All right. So you mentioned that you're uh, HPA, Human Performance Advisor. What is that? What What does that role entail? What do you do day to day? Uh, what are your kind of responsibilities in that role? You know, you're a jack of all trades, as you know. Um, you, you're, I, 
I say you're the glue that holds everything together. Um, so if you have a staff member that can't be there, can't be present, you kind of fill the gap. Does that mean I'm an athletic trainer sometimes? No. Does that mean I'm a physical therapist sometimes or a dietitian? No. But I make sure that I set it up so they can connect with them. If it's remotely, um, if it's uh, getting them out to the flight line uh, to uh, meet with the personnel and to really establish that relationship. And then also being with uh, headquarters and making sure that the the mission and, 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 and the culture that they see is passed down um, where we are, when the, where the boots are on the ground, realistically, um, and really work with those blue sitters and the air commandos. And, and it's, it's, it's good. And I, I like managing. I've done a lot of personality tests in my life and, and they, they, I never came out saying like I was this, this righteous, huge leader component, but the, every single time it's talked to me is about being a connector. So more than anything, what that means is I can talk to people, I communicate with people and I can get people to, in a room to really connect. Um, so once, once that happens, once this, the, the, the culture here is established, I don't know what's going to be next. I guess I just keep moving forward and keep learning to be better at whatever I could be. But, uh, that, that's what it is. I, again, it's the blue that fills in the gaps. I think is the best way to say it. I don't think you're ever going to get bored there. I don't think there's a, there's an end point. Uh, I know when I started my job, I, I made a list of, of, of things that I thought needed to happen. It was about 18 bullet points, uh, deep. And uh, I said, man, I can probably knock this out in about six months. And then I don't know what I'm going to do because everybody's going to be doing their thing. People are going to train in it. Oh, I'll just have to kick back. Now, it hasn't been quite the case. So going along, being, uh, you've been in your position, I think about a year now, if plus or minus a little bit right there. Uh, some changes were kind of forced on you, and then you've initiated some of them, like some of the ones that are kind of forced on, like you've had to replace, you've had some staff members leave, you've had expansion of staff. Your facility has changed. So can you talk about the changes in staff, the changes in facility, if you want to kind of move into that culture, how you're trying to change that? So what kind of things did you have to make uh, because they were there for you? And then what changes are you initiating uh, on your part? Well, I mean, first and foremost is is from the active duty personnel side, we've had a complete turnover. And uh, that that in itself was a huge change because it's a whole new leadership thought process, whole new philosophy. And just, I mean, really what the, what the role is, human performance advisor, if you look at the, uh, the PWS, um, it really states that you're there to advise leadership. So my goal within that process was to get them caught up where we were and where we were going and then help them mesh that together where how they saw our vision going forward. So that's first thing. Second thing is um, having a brand new staff where everybody comes from different things. No one's really on the same page on a contracting side and just work on creating common language. And that's, we did a couple of outings. Uh, we did a certification, online certification together virtually, but we did it together as a staff. And that was really helpful because we could really collaborate and ask questions together. Uh, one other thing we really did was, um, we put together a big virtual collaboration with all the flying uh, uh, wings and uh, we let all the specialties or scopes of practice uh, uh, hear and hear the vision as a whole individually and, and just really collaborate together, which is really cool. And I guess the last big piece is we did a, uh, we did a big outing with Top Golf in Albuquerque and we, and we just, we, we hit some golf balls. We all were really, really bad at it and, and it, it made it even more fun. But outside, try to create somewhat of a working relationship, uh, outside working relationship where we, we when we come to work, it's not just, hey, what do we got going on today? But, hey, how's life? 
Um, so there's, there's more depth. I think that's where the culture really comes in where, you know, we care about each other. Um, and that's important because if it's all about work, then there's not a, a deep investment into the program. So there's a deeper investment. Hey, I can't be here today because I had my daughter four weeks ago. The staff all stepped up, all worked together and they figured out how to cover it. So again, um, that's where that depth comes from. Uh, those are, those are the big, big picture items that we did and we we continue to do. Um, but ultimately I think other than that, it's quarterly. We do something. If we go, go grab a coffee at the coffee shop uh, and just talk life uh, as a staff or, I'll go out and I'll grab coffee for everybody and we'll come back and we'll just shut the door and just have a, a real conversation. And I think all that's important. Um, and just making sure that we, we make effort. Like today I went ran out and got our dietitian, probably the most unhealthy thing we could have got a dietitian and a, a athletic trainer, but our athletic trainer said she wanted dove chocolate. So I went and got her some dove chocolates. So I went and got an athletic trainer, some check mix. That's what they wanted. So I got it back from just small, small um, investments into showing that I care. Um, that we care for each other and then that effort of of just working together and all same mission all right thanks for sharing that so in and knowing you for the short time that i have but I, I think that we've accelerated that relationship by having a lot of good communication that you speak of uh i've noticed that one of your strong points is that you're well connected uh, and i don't think that's an accident you're well connected with people and you're well connected with people that are in development of equipment and technology. Those two kind of things like coaches connected and then equipment. Can you tell how you've kind of done this purposely over time? Yeah. You know, it's funny. Early on in my marriage, my wife probably hated it. But um, anytime we, I had vacation, uh, I would always position our vacations uh, early in my career to be at a location where I could go meet another coach. Uh, so we went and did a Boston trip, my wife and I. So we went, I spent three days with the Patriots, getting to know the coaching staff, uh, strength coaching staff and all the folks. And then my wife and I spent three extra days there exploring Boston. Um, so literally early on in my career, every time we'd go somewhere, I'd be like, hey, can I go see somebody while we're on a vacation? So we kind of collaborate that together um, and synchronize that up, one. Uh, and then two, uh, I, I I never had any hesitation to reach out to anybody online or, or via phone call and just keep calling them and calling them and calling them until they picked up and just wanted to ask them a few questions, uh, uh, really just who they are uh, more than strength coach philosophy. And then I guess lastly, uh, when we would go to conferences, I never liked to go into talks um, because I always felt like there was somewhat, somewhat of a smoke and mirrors. It wasn't true fire because people would, would put this glorious piece of, hey, this is a shiny, shiny piece of stainless steel instead of saying, well, this is really what it is. It's a, it's kind of a tampered piece of bronze, um, but we, we work hard and we get through it and we see success from that. I never, you never hear that. So if I heard anything at a conference that something was good, I would, I would make a marking and I, that would be one of the trips of like, I try to make, make and go see. Um, but when we were there, I'd always go to the venues and I would literally walk around and check everybody's hand. And the CSUCA was the best because they had the largest. They had like 500 freaking men, uh, 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 different venues there. So I would literally go up to every single person, have a conversation, give them my card, grab the card. And when I would get back, I would send them all an email. Um, I make sure I email every single one of them. And the ones that would come back and actually have a genuine conversation with me, it was the relationship that I established. If they would come back and sit, just try to sell me their item, 
I really didn't want anything to do with them um, because I knew that they didn't have great customer service skills. And I know that the relationship that we would establish didn't mean anything outside of their product. Um, and, and that's what I wanted a deeper relationship. So when I know I had an idea and maybe to make the product better, we can have that conversation and they take it to heart. Um, either they would apply it or they wouldn't, but they at least would take it to heart and they give me their honest feedback. Um, and I think that was important. And then again, um, over time, I, I try to, when I do have free time, uh, look at sending someone texts or sending someone an email, um, just to kind of catch up and just see how you're doing. The other day, perfect example, you asked for me, see if I could get, get one of my contacts in Alabama. And I hadn't talked to Jason Poeth in shoot, eight months. And I saw him a text message. I asked how he was doing, had a real conversation. And I said, hey, speaking of which, can you do these, this little thing for me? And he said, no problem. And give me that feedback back. But those are those are really areas I look at is continuously making that connection, not seeing somebody and just after that saying, okay, I met him, good, good to know. And I, that happens every once in a while. Um, I, I should, you know, I wish I could keep in contact with anybody, but that's freaking impossible. It, it just is because life happens. Life is fast. You know, we want to value what's important to us, you know, God, family, and and definitely uh, uh, relationships that are closest that we try to stay with. But other than that, the, down that line of priorities of bullets, those others, we try our best, but we just can do the best we can. That's good. I'm glad that we got that one out there. I think that's great advice for uh, especially a lot of young strength coaches that are listening to this. I think that's a, a big market that, that does check these uh, podcasts out. Uh, and, and just because I know the very first time that I went to an NSCA conference, I went with my boss. And he'd been in the business uh, probably five years. But it felt like if he didn't know everyone, he knew who they were. Like, uh, And he'd point them out. And I was so intimidated. And I was nervous to even talk to people like that, but I kind of did what you did and just put myself out there. And if they're genuine people, they'll reciprocate. And if they're not, then I don't really need them part of my life and part of my profession, part of my career. Uh, So next question, moving on. What are some long-term goals that you're working towards within your professional uh, uh, realm right now, both as a development, as a professional and with the 58 South? You know, ultimately overall, and I've said this on other podcasts, uh, the first one is to really get the word out how awesome the opportunity the tactical field is. Um, I think people don't realize, even even though it exists, one, but but two, realize uh, how important of a role this is. So uh, through a podcast like this or – when I go somewhere to visit a coach, like when I went to Baylor a couple, a year ago, a year and a half ago, and I went to saw University of Baylor, uh, since then, three coaches from that staff are in the tactical setting now. Um, I, I had that conversation, and, and they, they talked about how glorious everything was for them, and life happened, and they got fired, and next thing you know, they're calling me and said, can you tell me more about this? So I feel like that, that small mission of what I did uh, was to bring great quality people into a great quality setting and to, to elevate the tactical field because I want the best people in this because we're training the best of the best. And I want to have that capability. I know that again, my, my, my special, what I do is, is, is connecting. So I want to be able to connect and build this as a whole. And I don't expect anything out of this except to make this better. If we can make this better, we're going to make better tactical athletes. If it's a soldier or an airman, 
or whoever it is. And I want to see that. I want that to be elevated. And then I guess the second one is here at Fidate's House, just to build a culture where people want to be a part of it. You know, right? It's a voluntary component. So we have the standard folks that come in that love to work with us, be a part of it. But I want everybody to know about it. I want everybody to be a part of it. And I want them to know and say, hey, I know I can come here and be better. Will we ever accomplish that? I hope so. Is there ever going to be a pinnacle component where it's like, we've done it all, like you said earlier? No way. But we always want to strive for that. Always make that effort. Get out, shake hands. Get out, knock on doors. Just introduce myself. Introduce who we are, what we're about. And and, and really just show that we make that effort to make it the best we can. I think that's it. And then have a staff who, when we say, hey, we're going to do this, we all understand what's going on. It's not like you're speaking Japanese to them when it's like, this is simple. You don't understand what's going on. Well, one, I didn't do a good job of explaining myself, but two, that's not our standard. And I think that's like it or not. That's one thing that you can really appreciate for some programs, even though they might operate off of a book, that book is the standard. It's, it's like the Bible. It's like when I want to experience wisdom, I go to the Bible I know that's that's the standard, that's the foundation, that's the base of who I need to be. And, and I think that's kind of where we're at here is, is, is create that uh, with some sort of leeway uh, and pliability where there's can be some sort of bleed over to give you the freedom to still be who you are and not micromanage and dictate and you're just a robot. So a follow along with that. So those are some of your long-term goals right there. If you could be king for a day, not God for a day, so you can't automatically change culture within that day, but you could be king for a day and whatever you made, the laws for king for the day could not be uh, uh, knocked down or taken back the next day. King for a day, what would you do within the profession? And at the 58 South. Well, in the profession, first off, I would uh, require everybody to... um, everybody to to serve as that intern piece. I think that's important. Um, I would make sure that that was an essential where you had to wipe down the machines. You had to freaking mop the floors. You had to do the, 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 the small things that that build the big picture because you appreciate the big picture. I think there's some people that are somewhat um, still just kind of, grandfathered in. And and I think those are the ones that don't appreciate where they're at and don't do those small things. And then don't appreciate the people that work for them either. Because when you, when you come from the bottom up, when you hear those stories, those are the people that come down and say, Hey, thank you for what you do. Cause I was in your shoes. Like I understand. Um, And I couldn't have been here without a person like you Uh, one. And then two here at the 58 Sal, um, just consistently have, a daily conversation with leadership and command. Like every, in the special operations community, everything is so fast. People are going away. They're going down range. They're, they're, they're going overseas. It's just such a fast moving piece. Like you don't, you can't grab that attention. I can't grab the, the, the Colonel's attention and say, Hey, Colonel, can I talk to you today? Uh, I need a da 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 da. You can every once in a while, the blue moon, but it's still, his time is so precious. It's so hard to grab that. I wish it could be consistent because that's, that all starts at the top. And I know if, if you had that capability, um, 
that the understanding as a whole, the culture change, the what we see, what we want, uh, would be a lot easier, easier understood. Um, and not, hey, I'm going to show up to a command briefing once a month or once every two months or three months. And they see my face, I might say a sentence or two. And that's all they see and that's all they hear. So they don't know who I am, uh, realistically. Um, so that, that I think those are the two big ones. And just like being in college athletics, you know, could I have that athletic director's attention every single day, just for 10 minutes a day? If I had that capability, he could see the overall vision, not come by once, once every month or every two months or at, at, at the football game on Saturday and say, Hey, how things are going? Like, dude, you're not even there. Like you have no idea what's going on. Um, you, you act like you try to, but you got to be there. And I think that's important. And I think that's important for that whole physical element to have that presence. Yeah, I, I, I agree with that because it's tough for you to do your job without the support of command. And they didn't get to the position that they're in because they're lazy, stupid, or anything else like that. So if you just were able to make that time and that connection in there, and they would get what you get because you're the expert in the area, and they would they listen to you. But if you don't have that opportunity to get in front of them, we get it. They've got there's a war going on, and they've got things to do that uh, you just don't have that opportunity. So hopefully that'll break. And maybe if it's not ten minutes a day, it's five minutes, but it's perfect five minutes one on one a week. You know, kind of with that. And, and your time is stretched too. Uh, you're you're a connector, uh, but I've heard you talk, and I took this from from our interview. Uh, you talk about be present. Uh, can you expand on that? Because I felt it was very meaningful. And if they didn't listen to that podcast, I want them to get it through this podcast. Um, yeah, I, you know, I, I think that that's important for anybody. Um, for example, we don't have to be on right now. I'm serving as, as the strength and conditioning coach because we have a new hire. He starts here in a, in a few weeks. And when he does, awesome. But until then, because of my prior experience and my certifications and all the things, um, that's the role I'm filling. Um, I make an effort to be on the floor at least every hour. I set a, a clock on my watch, um, and when it goes off, I make I make it rounds. If they're just opening up the training, we're not doing a group setting where we're training them, coaching them up. But I make sure whoever's in there, uh, I walk up to every single individual and I ask how they're doing, ask if they need anything, um, ask what they're doing for the day, and I make sure that I'm present in their lives. Um, and it's not just for me, um, but it's, I had an air, 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 uh, airman come the other day and, uh, they, they were struggling, uh, with something in life and they want to tell me directly, but I had that capability because I had that conversation and being present with them to walk them over and talk to our counselor, a licensed professional counselor. So to integrate all elements of POTIF. So it's, it's not just for a personal element, but it's also for you can really walk them into an area of their life where they might need someone else to walk with them and you can help connect that piece too. So that's huge. And then as a staff too, uh, like we talked about earlier, I, I think to know that every day um, that I'm here, I'm here listening to them. I value what they hear or what they say and I'm listening and I'm empathizing with them. Um, and, and, and we talked about that present piece. That's the empathy piece and, and, and really knowing that whatever they're saying, I'm feeling too. That's where the presence comes from. Um, it's not just, okay, I get what you're saying, but we still have to move forward. It's, oh, I get what you're saying. And that sucks. But in making that statement, I will walk with you and let's get to that point together. 
I think that's the presence piece that I, I refer back to Brene Brown. I read, I read three of her books so far and, and she's had probably one of the most impactful pieces on me as a person, because it's really taught me more in depth of who other people are. And, and I think that that's, it's not just about sitting there in the chair, but sitting there in the chair, or it's, it's about going down into the hole with the person and sitting in the hole with them. And then that way, when you do, and y'all walk out together, you know, Hey, we got each other's back. And this thing is deeper and bigger than just you or me. It's all of us. Hope that helps. It does. It helps me because I need to hear that. Uh, and I think that's an important message, not only within the strength and conditioning field, the human performance field, but I think it, it, it transcends uh, professional life. But it, it does. You know, if you're a lawyer, you need to be present when your client's there. Uh, whatever the situation, whatever your profession is, um, also it, it's your home life. Like you said that when you went on vacation, you know, you would do some business stuff. So that's okay. If you, when you did the business stuff, you did the business stuff, but when you were doing vacation, then it switched off and you weren't still making phone calls to the other and stuff like that. Wherever you are, be present with that individual. I know from my standpoint, there's nothing more frustrating than having a conversation. If you and I were talking right now offline and then you kept looking down at your phone and you were doing other things, you were distracted, that would be frustrating on my part because you don't value the time that I'm spending with you and you cannot concentrate on two things at once. I, I get it like, Something comes up real quick, home, family, something something does usurp where I am. Like there's a hierarchy and your wife and kids are higher than that. So if something comes through that, but if you're constantly moving back and forth, then you're not present. You're not with me. And so why, why bother? Just go do what you're going to do and do that. And if you've got time for me, great. If not, then let's not worry about it. Uh, and so, you know, I, I kind of move away from those type of people. I'm going to move more into some of the questions that you typically ask uh, on this Coaches Collective here. Uh, and so it goes into, and you're familiar with this one, you know, what motivates you? And I'm going to separate that into two parts. One, what motivates you when you were a coach? Is there something new now that you're more at the staff administrative level? And then how do you motivate uh, the people that you, your staff that you work with? Yeah. I mean, I never was a, a, a wins and losses guy and I'm not a wins and losses guys here too. I mean, obviously ultimately my goal is to win. There's no doubt about it, but <laughs> I would say creating better people to be better pillars of society. Um, and and I, why I love the mission of POTA because it covers everything. Even as a coach, you know, are you spiritually there? Are you mentally there? Are you physically there? Um, and, and I believe as a whole, if, if I can provide that and get those athletes ready for that position, um, if it's game day, if it's their mission set, um, whatever it is, um, they're going to win. They're going to win well. They're going to win. They're going to dominate. Um, I, that's my belief. And that's what I've always strived to do is to do those little things too, to be on time. Um, when I was a college coach, it was, you're going to tuck your shirt in. Male, female, it didn't matter. You're going to tuck your shirt in. It's like, I think I've heard on another podcast, you might talk about it, but making your bed every day, something small, um, that had big things. And it was obviously the, the biggest impact, the small story or short story real quick. I had an athlete. Um, he was, he'd be a pain in my butt sometimes, uh, but he was, he was a great dude at the end of the day. I uh, loved the guy to death. 
um, played uh, safety for us, and uh, he at South Alabama. But he talked about discipline and the disciplines when he was in high school. His coach, they would do the exact same warm up every day. And he looked at the coach, man, he said, man, coach, this is stupid. He says, it might be stupid. It might be right. It might be the best thing in the world. But we do it because it is who we are and it defines us and we take pride in it. And I think it's the same thing in this setting is those small things allow us to take pride in who we are. Um, and it's every day when I show up to work right now, um, I, I make sure that the lights are on. I make sure uh, that I blow the floor and, and the floor is clean and set up and looks presentable. And if anything's on the ground, I pick it up and I put it up. Um, and it looks like that it's a facility that's, that's um, inviting when you come in. It's not that it's taken care of. It's love. So you want ownership when you walk in too. And, and when I told you earlier about walking through and having that conversation with everybody, I also have the same conversation saying, Hey, do me a favor, do me a solid. This is your facility too. This is not my facility. This is your facility. So whatever you do, just make sure you, you make it look like it when you got here. Um, if not even better. And I think those smalls kind of carry over. The same with the staff too. Hey, if you see something on the floor, just pick it up. I remember when I was a, a waiter in a restaurant, uh, my boss was the manager at the time. He would purposely drop a napkin on the floor and he'd sit off in the corner and watch to see who would pick it up and say who took pride in the, in the restaurant. And it's the same thing as a coach. Like those small things matter. And that's who I see I can rely on too. Because that, that stands out. When you see those people, they're willing to take pride in those small things. You know, they're the ones that are going to invest in the big picture too. And, and that's with the athletes. And that's with the staff. And that's with myself too. I think more importantly, it's me. I have to be that person. Because I take pride in the big picture. So kind of going along with that. That, and then kind of going on with some of the stuff you said earlier about creating a culture. Uh, how do you create this buy-in? So if, if you had that opportunity to spend 10 minutes today with the commander and you wanted to have this long-term uh, goal of developing culture, how do you get buy-in from everybody to do what you want to do and to follow you down the tracks versus following somewhere else or their own thing? You have a needs analysis first. You want to hear that needs analysis from each one of those individuals. So if I have a commander – um, or the colonel, and I say, hey, what do you want? What do you want out of this? How do you see this? Now, in saying that, say I have a direction. If that means I have to step up first and say, this is what I see, but tell me what you want. You figure out how to, to definitely synergistically mold this together. I think that's huge. That's how you build that culture. Meaning if I have a culture and I'm working in college athletics, and the majority of my athletes are from the urban city and they they love a certain culture and a certain style. That's what I'm going to build what I do. I'm not going to take something completely opposite of who and what they are and try to say, this is what you're going to do because it's counterproductive. And it's really, it's counterculture. It's everything against that. So it's, it's how do I instill the discipline? How do I allow what I believe in, in my philosophy work but somewhat mold over or bleed over what they believe and just bring that together. And it's not going to work hundred percent of the time. So I think in that with having that culture, be willing to try new things, be willing to push a little farther outside of your comfort zone, be courageous. But at the same time, when I say be courageous, be willing to fail too and be able to step up and say, well, that didn't work. That was a bad idea. Well, let's, let's, let's reel it back or rewind a little bit 
and go back to what we believe in and where it's not too counterculture or too uh, anti-productive and, but still push forward and, and still try to tweak it as you go. It's, it's kind of like when you're building a train track, you wish it was a smooth, straight, flat plane to build that train track, but you're going to run into the mountains. You're going to run into the lakes and rivers. So that train track's going to weave. It's got to go up and down and all around. And you got to be willing to adapt as you build that thing. And it's the same thing with your culture in itself too. But when you do it, you adapt to the environment. And it's the same thing as coach, same thing as an administrator is, is seeing what that environment is because the army environment and the air force environment are two completely different environments in itself. One person kicks the door in, the other person gets behind an aircraft and flies it in the air and, and, and creates essential uh, emissions for those people that kick in those doors. So they're completely different on how they see things. One person literally does his job and you drink coffee while they do their job. While the other person has a freaking sledgehammer and a rucksack on their back with potentially some morphine in their side pouch if something bad goes wrong. So it's completely two different mindsets, but at the same time, they still have the same mission and be able to morph those two together and be able to excite them. I think another big piece too is, is excitement. You know, when they hear you talk or they hear me talk, they know that you love what you do. Um, Cause that, that matters. I mean, I mean, I know in my case, the people that I wanted to be a part of things were the ones when they would talk to me, I know, man, that guy every day when he shows up, I know he has something special that he cares about and I'm going to keep following him because of that or her or whoever, you know, I'm, I'm blessed with her leadership right now. Um, uh, she's very passionate about who she is and what she believes in. And, and that's exciting for me. My previous leader, same thing. He came to work every single day. And he freaking wanted to know, how can we make this the best we can? And let's hear everybody's idea. And from there, let's move forward and see if those ideas can all play a role in moving in that direction. You kind of uh, talked about how things have progressed, uh, especially from the beginning when we had your intro. Uh, you've, you've had a long, illustrious career. Uh, what is your coaching style? And now you've got to be got to be a man of all seasons because you fill in the blanks when someone's not there at work. Uh, but what was your coaching style at the beginning? Maybe how you formulated that? Has it changed? Uh, is it the same style, but does it adapt whether you're working within a, a, a door kicker or you're working with a pilot or, or who? Can you kind of just go over that, that coaching philosophy and the coaching style? I've always been a, an excited guy that's, that's willing to get loud if I have to, um, but not in a negative way, not not a bunch of cuss words or anything like that, but um, just hoot and holler and cheer people on and not overly either, not goofy clown-like, but in a way that really just creates energy, you know, and, and I, I might uh, uh, clap my hands really loud and, and might hoot my fist in the air, whatever it is, but that's always been me. That that's 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 who I always am. Um, but obviously, if I'm in a briefing, that's not going to be who I am. It's going to be a lot more calm, cool. I think over the years, because as my role has changed and I've taken up more of a leadership role, um, I have to be more of a calm, more of a listener, uh, more just to sit there and 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 see what's going on and observe, and less of taking control of the meeting. Um, early on in my career, I think I, I really thought I had to dominate everything um, and be in control of the room. Because really, as a strength coach, you do, you want to command the room. 
But as you go forward and you have higher ups that are higher than you, that have a lot more to dictate and say, it's more of just sitting back and listening. So if you're, when your time does come, you know exactly what's going on and you can have a great thought or, or a great process to where the need is. So I think that's, that's really changed over time. And I guess, I guess the last thing, the thing I talked about earlier is the Brene Brown piece is before it was more of this is my way or the highway. And now it's more of um, philosophically is what do you see? What do you want? Um, how do you see this going and say, okay, well, let's, let's see if we can mold that or bring that in and, and, and let's do this together. Right? So it's more of a team, less of a me, more about we, I guess, as I've progressed um, in my career. Right. So you kind of, that's a great segue into the next thing I want to talk about. Uh, you talked about how initially it used to be your way or the highway. And then after maturation, like just getting older and uh, you're reading of Brene Brown, by the way, I don't know if she pays you a nickel every time Yeah, you mentioned her. Hey, doggone it, you guys better be best. She needs to take you out for dinner because I've listened to your other podcasts. And, you, you know, uh, I, I bought one of her books because of you to listen to. And also, so uh, she made some money off of that. So hopefully she's hooking you up there. But then it talked to, you talked more of a conversation. So with athletes, so right now we're in a time where the mo- there's the most amount of information available to human beings than there ever has been before at our fingertips. Uh, like I've got my phone here. I've got four devices right now in front of me on this desk that I can pull information off of in less than a second. When I put in just keywords, they don't even have to be a good search right there. So you have people, you deal with people both as a coach and now even uh, more in a staff position that have access to a lot of information. That information is not always great quality information. Okay. So sometimes you have to battle misinformation or poor information that does not match up with what your goals are and how not only your goals, maybe the goals are the same, but the methodology is different. Like this source says you should get to this goal. This is how you do it. Your methodology as an educated subject matter expert knows that that's not the path that you need to go. This is the path. How do you deal with those individuals that present you with, here's my goal which you agree is a good goal, but here's how I want to do it. They tell you how they want to do it versus, you know, that it's probably not the best way, most efficient, most effective, safest way of doing it. How do you handle those situations? And, you know, some of it has to do with being humble on both ends. Um, me, especially one to listen, like we talked about and be present with them and how they want to do it and see how we can mold as much as we can. And I can't tell you enough in this setting, how many airmen, and soldiers say, hey, I love to CrossFit. I want to CrossFit. Cool. Um, I don't directly agree with everything they say, but they do have good things. And here's the good highlights that I do like. Um, so I ask that you give me a chance. I do have a master's degree. I do have multiple certifications um, that are nationally accredited to say I can do these things. Um, and if it doesn't work, no sweat off my back, no sweat off your back. Continue down the path you're going. Um, but what I will say is if you need any other resources, I'll provide them to you, um, including research-based, including text, book-based uh, uh, research and understanding and definitive elements. <laughs> and, um, you know, I, I think that's where you are. You're there to educate them. You're there to just be present and provide those services. And you're always going to have your outliers that are too stubborn to do what they want to do. 
And I also think it's important that you find those alphas that are potential that have potential to change uh, or buying to change. And you also really invest in them because if those guys or gals are the leaders amongst their units or uh, uh, platoons or wherever, wherever they serve and they do a really good job and they see a lot of success, those are the individuals that one are going to sell the program, but two, those others that you might butt heads with really come along. And no matter what, even if you've had a conflict of interest or had that conversation before, it was like this, uh, knowing that when they come to you, you're willing to be humbled in front of them and still to listen and still work with them. Because I mean, we all have those athletes um, in our careers where it's like, I don't know how the heck to reach this person. I have tried every freaking thing known to mankind and it is like just not working. So it's just continue to offer the olive branch. Uh, growing up, my grandma always said this saying, and I, I don't think you can you can outlive this no matter what age you're in, but killing with kindness. Um, I, I think that if you continue to do that, sometimes it's almost enraging to them. They're like, well, damn it, I'm just going to give this person a chance. If I do, they'll probably leave me alone or they might have something to say. Usually nine out of 10 times, it works. Um, you're still going to have your 10% and so be it. You can't reach everybody. You got to understand the world ain't fair and you can't reach every soul and that's okay. Um, I, I live by the 90% rule, 90% in, in everything in life. That's education. That's, uh, investment in my family and, and goals and resources. If I've achieved 90%, that's pretty freaking good. And usually if you look at the research, that extra 10% is actually going to take you longer to try to achieve to get that hundred percent in that 90%. So once you've invested that 90%, move on to the next goal, move on to the next goal. Um, pretty darn good percentage. If you're playing baseball, you're probably going to be MVP if you're 90% in everything. Um, in, in, in any sport, in any of anything and everything. Um, even in the mission set, you think a, a mission goes off flawlessly and you look back, you say, well, we could have done this, could have done this, could have done this. I did, We didn't achieve this mission flawlessly. It wasn't 100%. Now, we probably killed or kidnapped or rescued the asset or whatever happened. Um, but at the end of the day, there were still a lot of things that didn't go right. So I think 90% is pretty darn good element to live by. 90%. I'll take it day in, day out. So trying to get to that 90%, uh, you always got to stay ahead of the game. You've got to make yourself better because getting to 90% today will not be 90% tomorrow as, as, as the field grows, as information, quality information becomes available, uh, and both in breadth and, and, and width. Uh, where do you turn to, because time is valuable to you, you've got a, a, a newborn at the home, uh, you've got your staff that you look after, where do you spend your time to collect more information, to educate yourself, to keep yourself on top of the game. And I, I can be aware that it might have shifted over time because now your goals are a little bit different than maybe what it was when you were a beginning strength coach. So can you speak to that throughout your range in your career? Yeah, I mean, it, I find my mentors and I continue to reach out and listen to what they say and what – and, and not saying what they say is the, is, is the Bible and, and the word and, and, and it, but value what they have to say. If it's Alfred Bill, legendary strength coach for the Chicago Bulls, to Kelly Starrett, physical therapist out of San Francisco, 
I, I make those contacts and I ask them, so what's going on? Tell me what's going on. Fill me in. Uh, what's going on? Donnie Thompson, uh, world, uh, world champion powerlifter, any of those guys. And I continue to reach out to them and, and hear what they're saying. If they have a podcast or they're on a podcast or uh, some sort of YouTube vlog or whatever it is and, and listen and, and kind of define that um, to go to conferences. I, I can't say that enough. Um, how important that is. And that's why this last year really kicked me in the, in the, in the hiding is, is not be able to go and do what I do is connect. Um, but uh, in that is it's just be a part, try to be a part of podcasts. And that's just listening or, 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 or being present on one. Uh, this, this coaches collective has been huge. I've got to talk to freaking 40 different people. Like how awesome is that? And hear their stories that I've never got to hear before. Uh, one of my mentors is Yancey McKnight, and and I got to hear his story, and it was like to me, I mean, beautiful, like it was awesome. There, there was there was everything like you would want to see in a five star movie. He spoke about it in his story and his success, so that was awesome. So those small things there to um, literature, it, philosophically, not never going to change for me. I always like to do something in my practice. And then something and make me a better person. Um, me and my practice in the science and the practice of strength and conditioning, performance, however you want to define it. And then something that's going to make me a better person. It might be motivational. It might be spiritual. Um, it might be um, uh, some sort of cognitive element to it. Uh, but whatever it is, it's, it's going to make me better as a person. Uh, being a better father, being a better husband, whatever it is. Being wild at heart, you know, I, I love that. Uh, element um, and and and, and uh, the literature that that's behind that, um, with John Eldridge and, and and his whole philosophy. He's right up north of me, and I'm excited to one day do one of his workshops, just talking about manhood and masculinity and how it, it doesn't have to be this dominant, this stoic piece, but you can be meek uh, and humble and 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 truly be respected. And, and those small pieces too, I think, are important. So that. Uh, in itself and be open. And where do I go is be open to listen to others. I asked my staff, you know, we did our FRC last summer, the functional range conditioning certification. Our athletic trainer came in, she ran and raved about it. And we did it. So listen to what she has to say and listen to the younger, the younger folks that you work with, I think is important because they're the ones that can be a lot more gung ho than, than us, you know, uh, because they still have that passion. They're probably not married. They probably don't have kids. Um, so they're always going to be digging and, and be willing to go in and like or not like what they have to say. So I think I always it, it's kind of like the disciples in the Bible. Um, there's there's obviously when they go out, they go in droves of two, but there's really was three. You know, there was always someone behind, above them and someone below them and being willing to listen to both of those people and where to go. So that's, those are the guys that gals that mentored me and then those that someone I mentor um, and uh, look at that direct connection between the two. Thank you. So you talk about uh, the mentoring process and developing other strength coaches uh, and developing yourself and maybe even possibly some retrospect, some mistakes that you've made in the past. Can you transfer those concepts over to the industry as a whole? Where has strength and conditioning, human performance, where has it missed the mark? Where has it kind of hit the mark? And where do you see that it needs the most development? Like you can internalize that and say, well, gosh, I'm weakest in leadership aspects. So I need to spend more time in leadership. So where have we missed the mark and where do we need to get better as a holistic community? 
Well, first off, this is a quote directly from Alvin Mill. I mean, Al Mill. Al Miller, um, legendary strength coach for the Broncos, Falcons, and a bunch of other stuff. Anyways, long story short, he once told me this, and I think we forget this sometimes in this art. Once you become a seasoned coach, you became a seasoned coach because of the volume of athletes that you've worked with, you've seen, you've heard, you've even spoken with. So we can never get away from our ability to see and to hear and to speak into. Um, that's important. We we are our trade is unmeasurable by that characteristics, by those characteristics and those traits. So for example, I watch someone Olympic lift. I can take as many technology pieces and attach it to that game bar or that person or put cameras on them as possible, but they're still not going to see the broken down elements that we might be able to see as a coach, meaning um, that a video might not pick up where their mindset was not where it needed to be, or they did not breathe and 